We are in a series in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, brand new series. If you join us online, welcome. We're so glad to have you. We, we've been in, we started last week. This is the second week in 1 Peter. The, the series is entitled um, Hardships, Holiness, and Hope. Hardships, Holiness, and Hope. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. We'll get there in just a moment. We know from the very first verse of 1 Peter that Peter himself, the follower of Jesus, is writing to Christians who are scattered throughout Asia Minor. That's current day Turkey. And they were scattered because of religious persecution. These early Christians refused to worship the Roman gods. And they were ostracized for their social and sexual practices, which were radically different than the culture around them. And, to make matters worse, they, they claimed to follow a god a man who died on a cross and had risen from the dead. And so it's no surprise that Peter, in the very first verse, calls them exiles. He's reminding them, I know you feel like you're not at home, and it's because you're not at home. You're on a journey. You belong to God. This is not your home. And he says, listen, you can endure hardships and pursue holiness because you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter knew firsthand what it meant to endure hardships and pursue holiness. He knew it was hard and costly. And throughout this letter, he's going to remind them over and over again, life is hard, Jesus calls us to holiness, but you have hope. It's the grace of God reminding you of your future that can let you live in the present, present for the glory of God. Today's message is entitled, The Magnificence of the Gospel. The Magnificence of the Gospel. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Peter says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that they have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is God's word. One of the things that people love to imagine, to uh, daydream about. One of the things we love to tell stories and movies about is the idea of time travel. Time travel. Some of the greatest movies ever written are built on the premise of time travel, aren't they? Think of movies like, well, I don't know if these are the greatest, but some of them are Terminator, Groundhog Day, Interstellar. I love the soundtrack, by the way, Interstellar. Uh, Avengers Endgame, and of course the classic, you know what I'm talking about, Back to the Future. That's right. Or for the kids, some of you like, kids are like, I don't recognize any of those. Um, how about Mr. Peabody and Sherman? They go back in time. They go back to the day of Moses in Egypt. How about Lego Movie Part 2? How about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban? Yes, thank you. You see, as people, young and old, we, we have this fascination of what it would be like to travel to a different time, to live in a different time, to visit a different time. Imagine what we could learn 
Imagine what we could experience. Let me just ask you for a moment. If you could travel to any time in history, any moment in time, where would you travel to? Where would you go? Some of you might be thinking, if you're super spiritual, I'd go back all the way to beginning to Adam and Eve and I'd knock that food out of their hands and be like, stop it! Do you realize what you're about to do? Maybe you'd want to go and see Moses holding up his hands, Red Sea parting, fish swimming on both sides as the Israelites are passing through on dry land. I don't know. Maybe you'd want to be on that mountain. Maybe some, a day like this, see a Galilee blowing, wind blowing from the sea, and Jesus himself teaching or doing miracles. You see, here's the thing. As exciting as it might be to imagine living in a different time, we actually, right now, live in one of the most exciting and greatest times in human history. I know that sounds strange, given all the evils in the world right now, all the suffering in the world right now, all the injustice, all the divisiveness, all the, the coronavirus, right? All of those things, and I'm not minimizing any of those things whatsoever. They're bad. But according to Peter, Right here in these verses, he says, the time we're living in right now is incredibly unique and wonderful because we right now get to be recipients of salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. A very time that people in, the, in history longed to see, longed to be a part of, searched carefully for, we right now get to experience it. Are you amazed to get to live in a time like this? That's the question as you read these verses in 1 Peter 1. If you're taking notes, lesson number one is this. Be thankful to live in this time of salvation. Be thankful to live in this time of salvation. Peter spends the first nine verses describing our salvation and exalting in it. Blessed be God, he said, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Then he says we have a glorious inheritance that cannot be shaken, cannot be taken away, and God is guarding us by faith, not just our inheritance. He's guarding us so that we will get that inheritance. We will receive glory and experience His glory. And even now, he says, you're experiencing trials. Don't worry. It's not to crush your faith. It's to purify your faith. And so you can experience joy now, knowing you're going to experience inexpressible joy to come. He says, we are right now obtaining the outcome of our faith, the very salvation of our souls. And then verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Peter's talking about our salvation, salvation, then he goes backwards. He brings up the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament writers. He'll say in 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us the prophets, all the Old Testament writers, were writing not just about what was happening then, but he says, look, about the grace that was to be yours. Peter tells us the prophets were writing about grace. Some of us have this false impression that the Old Testament is all about God's judgment and wrath. And you've you got to get to the New Testament to get to mercy and grace and kindness. And Peter's saying, no, that's not true. That's not true at all. Yes, there's judgment and wrath in the Old Testament, but that's not all there is. If you read the New Testament, you find time and time again, God pursues His people, doesn't He? 
God pursues them even when they reject Him. God proclaims to them in spite of their sin, He would rescue them, they would be His. And many times, if you read carefully, you find these Old Testament writers predicting a time when God Himself would redeem His people from sin and death. Genesis 3, God tells Adam and Eve, a son of Eve is going to crush the head of Satan. Ezekiel 11, God tells Ezekiel, there's a time coming when I'm going to take the heart of stone from people and give them a new heart. Isaiah 53, the Messiah, the Redeemer is going to come and He's going to die and He's going to be crushed for our sin. Psalm 16, God tells us the Messiah would not stay dead. He would rise from the dead. It says, your Holy One, you will not let see corruption. You see, that's grace. That's God's grace to us because we get to see the fulfillment of what they only had just a, 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 a vague picture of. The prophets preached about the grace that was to be ours. It was a future grace for them, a present grace for us. But why does Peter bring up the past? Why bring up the Old Testament prophets? Here's why, I think. Peter wants these Christians and he wants us to understand that the salvation he just got done, des done describing has been God's plan all along. Christian, listen to me. Salvation has been God's plan A all along. There is no plan B. There's no backup. It's not like God was in heaven watching us make a mess of things and he goes, good grief, what am I going to do? I got to figure out how to work things out. No! This has always been God's plan for Jesus to step down out of heaven and become a man and die for us. How do I know that? Because it says in verse 11, 11, these prophets inquired about what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings and glories of Christ. The Spirit of Christ in them, in the prophets. What does that mean? Think about it. It means way back then, Jesus knew what he had to do. Let's blow it up even further. Listen, from eternity past, Jesus, the Son of God, has been contemplating His death for you. As far back as, as existence itself, Christ has been ready and willing to give His life for yours. Do you see what that means, Christian? God's love for you was not a momentary love. It was not a love that he decided he would do when he was bloodied and hanging on a cross and said, okay, fine, I'll go through with it. No, for all of time, Jesus knew he would die on a cross. He loved you from ages past and he loves you now. He has always known what he would do and he went through with it when it came before him. This grace was so wonderful that it says the prophets searched and inquired carefully. They weren't passive. They were looking into it. They were trying to understand what is God up to? What is He about to do? But it was only a shadow for them. Each of the writers of the Old Testament had a piece of the puzzle. And they put their piece on the puzzle, but they didn't have the rest. It was kind of a jumbled up, you know, when you open up a puzzle, you're like, ah! At least for me. Some of you are like, yeah! Not me. But you know, you get all these pieces and, they're all, and they get their one and they put it at the right spot and the next guy comes around, the next one comes around and, then, and all of a sudden Jesus comes and, it, and, it, and then we get to see the full picture. That's Peter's point. They searched and longed to know the very things concerning salvation that you and I now know. Christian, does that humble you? You think about the spiritual giants of the past. Maybe a Moses. 
You say, man, he wrote, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. He led the Israelites out of Egypt. He performed miracles. God spoke through him. He saw the glory of God. He's amazing. I'm not a superhero like him. I'm not a, I'm not a super prophet. That guy's amazing. And Peter says, you know what? As amazing as Moses' experience of God was, it is nothing compared to what you and I get to experience now. We have the assurance of Jesus' forgiveness. We have the Spirit of God indwelling us who will never leave us. We have adoption in the family. We know that eternal life is sure through the gospel. Listen, we know of things that Moses could only dream of. Is that humbling? Does it fill you with gratitude? You get to experience the new birth through the resurrection of Jesus. As painful and complex as it is to live in this time in history, we have the utmost privilege of living in the church age. We get to enjoy salvation. And I'm simply asking, does that fill you with gratitude? And if you find yourself grumbling and complaining about everything is wrong with the world, listen, th this world is messed up. And yes, lament that. And you know my heart. I, I, we, we ought to be lamenting. But if all you can do is figure out what's wrong in the world and not what's right with God and His salvation, then you have lost your way. Come back. Come back. Remember what he has done. Be thankful we get to live in a time where his salvation is sure. Lesson number two. Understand the Bible's main theme. And that is salvation through the gospel. Lesson number two. Understand the Bible's main theme. Salvation through the gospel. Verse 11 again. The prophets were predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter is saying, this is the summation of the entire Old Testament scriptures. He's saying, look, the Bible is full of stories, men and women, difficult journeys, dangerous battles, family drama, kingdoms that rise and fall, temples and tabernacles and the like. And yet he's saying, every book, every story, every character is all about one main person, and that is Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, it's a book about the sufferings and the subsequent glory of Christ. And Peter is wanting to make sure as Christians we understand that. So I'm, I want to ask you, do you understand that the Bible is all about Jesus? Do you understand that this is not a book of just rules and principles to follow? There are rules and principles. But it's not just about that. And if, you, and if you don't understand that, you'll actually misapply the rules and principles. The only way to make sense of the Bible is to understand it's all about the sufferings and glories of Christ. No matter where you're reading in Scripture, the Old Testament law, the historical books, the prophets, the wisdom literature, yes, interpret it in its original context, but then take the next step and say, how does this passage point to Jesus? How does this passage foreshadow Christ? If you're in a small group, if you're in a Bible study, and they never do that, you need to change now. Change how you do it. Pastor Brady is, is, is clear when he sends out the sermon questions. He wants to make sure no matter what we're studying, Genesis, Peter, whatever, how do you interpret the passage? How do you apply it to us? But then, how does this point to Jesus? How does Jesus fulfill this? How does it bring us comfort or hope or conviction through Jesus Christ? In Luke 24, after Jesus has already died and risen from the dead, there are two, two um, disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they don't know that Jesus rose. 
And he just appears to them, and they don't, uh, they kind of, it's veiled. They can't tell it's him. They can't recognize him. And he kind of just starts walking them and goes, hey, what's going on, guys? And they're like, oh, my goodness, life is terrible. The world is falling apart. He's like, what happened? What do you mean? And they're like, where have you been, man? And they tell him about Jesus. And we, we thought he was the prophet that was to come. And we, we thought he was going to be the Savior, the Messiah. But then he died. He died. And we don't know what to do. And Jesus looks at him and says this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you see where Peter gets it from? Peter didn't just make this up. He got it from the very words of Jesus, the very mouth of Jesus. Every part of Scripture is about the sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ. If you don't understand that, you will miss the main point of the Bible. That it's all about salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, before I go any further, I can't assume that everyone here understands what I mean about the gospel, about good news. And some of you might be thinking, salvation, and I've heard this before, people ask, what do I need to be saved from? I'm, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm safe. What, what do I need to be saved from? Do I need to be saved? And the answer, first of all, is yes. Every human being who can hear me, who's watching, needs to be saved. And the only means of being saved is the gospel. The gospel means good news. It, it's, it's a good report it's, it's, a, it's a report about a historical event. And back in this day, when uh, the people who would give gospel news or good news would be heralds. And a herald would come into a town and jump up. I'm not going to jump on that. They would jump up on a rock and they would say, Hear ye, hear ye, hear the good news of the king. And they would declare good news. Your enemies have been vanquished. You are set free. And everybody would be like, Yeah, that's awesome. No herald comes into town and goes, Hear ye, hear ye, hear the good news. Your taxes are doubled. That's not good news. Good news is something that has already happened. And in the terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the good news of what God has already done for us. Jesus is God in the flesh who came down out of heaven, became a man, lived the life you and I should have lived, but couldn't. He was perfect. And then he died the death you and I should have died. Or as Peter says in his own words, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You see, Peter understood what we understand now, that our sin separates us from God. Our sin is a terminal disease, listen to me, that is scarier and deadlier than the coronavirus. It can kill us forever. Sin kills forever. The judgment for sin is death. And our sin condemns us before God. And so Jesus Christ died for our sins. He bore our judgment in order to bring us home to God, is what Peter says. And Jesus rose from the dead to prove that his victory is over sin and death. And that this isn't some myth. It's not some fairy tale. He appeared to over 500 people who eyewitnessed saw him and then later died willing to go to their death saying, we, we saw him, we can't deny it. 
And the good news is if you will repent of your sin, if you, as, you, as these baptismal candidates said, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up. I know that my sin needs judging. But I'm now turning to Jesus who took my judgment. I'm receiving his gift by faith. I'm just leaning my eternal destiny on Jesus. That's faith. When you do that, you receive his eternal life, his gift of forgiveness. And listen, that's good news. That's good news in a world where if you turn on the TV today, you're not going to hear much good news. Remember the good news. Remember the Bible is all about salvation through Jesus. Third point, stand in awe of the gospel. Stand in awe of the gospel. Peter says in verse 12, the prophets of old were not serving themselves or even the people they ministered to, they were serving you. The sacrifices all the prophets made, and boy, if you read any of them, they sacrificed a lot. They endured. They listened to the word of God. They spoke it when it was costly to them. It was all so that you and I could see it fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. Yet another reason to be amazed at the time we live in now. And then Peter closes. He says, this pre- they preached good news to you, things into which angels long to look. It, that's a funny thing to say. He's saying the gospel is so magnificent, so spectacular, that even angels gaze at it in, and marvel. How could this be? Do you see what he's saying? Do you understand? Angels are brilliant creatures. I mean, they're, they're magnificent and of themselves. Whenever a human sees an angel, they bow down in almost in worship of that angel because they're so magnificent. These angels stand before Almighty God to do His bidding. They're incredibly powerful. They can perform miracles and they have a front row seat to the unfolding of God's drama of salvation. But as amazing as angels are, they can never experience what we experience today. Angels understand the gospel, of course. They just can't be recipients of the gospel. They don't get to behold the beauty of Jesus as we do. Angels aren't made in the image of God. They've never sinned against God. And so they've never experienced the glory of having their sins forgiven. They've never experienced the freedom of having shame removed. They've never experienced the joy of knowing God as their heavenly Father. Angels long to look into these things. They marvel at it. They never get tired of beholding Jesus and all that He has done and standing in awe of what we get to experience in the Gospel. And Peter's point is this. If angels get that excited about salvation and they're just onlookers, how much more should we be excited about it? If if angels love the gospel of God in saving sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, if angels love that gospel, how much more should we love the gospel of God in saving sinners like us? How much more should we be filled with joy and gratitude to be able to say with Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? You see, the the more you stand in all the gospel the more you will experience God's grace in giving you endurance and hardships, the more you experience His grace to continue to pursue holiness, the more the gospel grips your heart, the more you will have a living hope that will sustain you as you wait for His glory to come. 
Look, a, a time machine sounds awesome. If we had one now, there'd probably be a long line of people who'd want to try it. But I don't know about you. I, I wouldn't rather live anywhere else any other time other than right now. Because no matter how hard life gets, no matter who's in charge of our government or other governments, no matter what losses we endure, we get to live in a time when Christ has been revealed and experienced His salvation. Take comfort, Christian. Take courage. We may have to meet outside at 10.30 when we'd rather be meeting inside with everybody. We may have to say goodbye to loved ones that we may not want to say goodbye to. We may have to endure hardship at work or with our friends. Our friends might reject us because we're Christians. I don't know what you're experiencing, but here's what I know. I know what Paul said in Romans 8, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you believe that? It's not a fairy tale. It's real. Glory to come. We have a church member who died on Thursday, and while we grieve that loss, he is experiencing the outcome of his faith, the very salvation of his soul. I can't help but marvel at the glory he now experiences. And yet right now for us, it's simply hope. It's a living hope. Because we know the gospel is so magnificent, we can marvel and, and dwell on it so that we too can have that hope till we get to the end of our lives and know, Jesus, you're still my all in all. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. Jesus, we need you in our lives. We need you to be our Savior. We need you to keep rescuing us from ourselves we need you to keep teaching us your ways. We confess we are, we are struggling to be thankful. We are struggling to find joy in all that you have done because of all the struggles around us, because of all the hardships around us, because of all the pain, because it's difficult to follow you in a world that is often antagonistic to you. Lord, help us. Help us to remember what is worth remembering so that we can trust what is worth trusting. Jesus, we want to long and gaze at the magnificence of your gospel, that it would never get old to us, that we would never get tired. The angels never get tired, and they're just onlookers. Lord, help us to never get tired of the good news, of the great joy, of the enduring presence of you in our lives. God, I long for the day when every member of grace can gather in one place. But until then, I pray that you would sustain us, strengthen us, protect us, purify us, fill us with your joy, Lord. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.